Hi, I'm Charles Martinet, and you're listening to Scene World Podcast. It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm me. York is there. What's happening, man? Hello. Well, what's happening? We are recording another issue of Scene World Podcast. And I'm standing Yay. up. Yay. Yay. I'm sitting down. <laughs> Great. In a minute, we're going to be talking to Paul Stalomine. He is the organizer of a video game con, which is a, a pretty much the biggest video game con in New Jersey, in the tri-state area, maybe. Um, which I went to this past September 11th. It was a Sunday. I didn't make the Saturday that it happened, but yeah, I, I, I did make it up in time for Sunday. And there's actually a video on YouTube if, if everyone wants to go to our YouTube channel. Yeah, youtube.seamwell.org. Yes, it was a good time. We had fun. Bought, bought a couple cupcakes, but I had Great. to put them in my pocket and they got a little, a little smushed. Yeah, nice. It wasn't that nice after they'd been smushed in my pocket. I, I ate uh, one. I ate one because I felt bad for buying it and not eating it. But you know, you can't. You can't always win. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so go and uh, watch that, people. And thanks again, HA, for being there. Not a problem. And making a video. I was almost awake for it. Great. I, w- I want Great. people to understand that I. I Saturday, I had to DJ a wedding, so I did. I did my Saturday DJing activities up until about one a.m., and then I left there, grabbed my stuff, and drove four hundred miles to North Jersey oh, to boy. do this, and went basically straight to the con from there. So, wow. so I was running on almost nothing. And you also did some DJing there and uh, on your wedding and. Use mm-hmm. some music from Veruntel, right? Yes, yes. Some some stuff from Veruntel. He he put together special for the the wedding, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, and if you don't know who he is, we did an interview with him and a podcast with him. If and... you don't know who he is and you're listening to this podcast, then you need to really <laughs> check a... your check your values and and your. That's true. That's true. He's an institution. Yeah, definitely. He did RoboCop 3 and other nice music. Turbo Outrun and... Lemmings. Lemmings, yeah. You know... Afterburner. Yeah, the American version. Yeah, the good one. At least. Yeah, the good one. Yes. So, and next to that, we not also got only our YouTube channel, but we also got Instagram now. Mm -hmm. Hey. So, if you want to subscribe to our Instagram and follow us, where we announce what we do next, you know? York, York might post some topless pictures. Yeah. Free, free the nipple. Hashtag. <laughs> nice. And it's um, SceneWorld64 is our Instagram name. So, follow us. We might follow back, maybe, <laughs> if we are nice. Yeah. And post some interesting stuff there. So, and as I just posted there today, 
Um, as we record this, I'm exporting the unboxing and review of the Defender of the Crown Extended Collection Edition from Cinema Retro. That's something we announce a lot of times in our podcast, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, we also indeed. interviewed them. This is the, the special version that you got, the box you got just for the unboxing. Yeah. You, you bought one and then they sent you yes. one to unbox. Yes. Do you have to send that back? No. Okay. So you so you just got a free copy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Nice, isn't it? Thank you, Sven. Very nice of you. There is news from Tarnkappa.info and Lars Sobirai, who we interviewed as our first guest. Yes. Posted that there will be a real Commodore back, and that means the G sixty four Reloaded will be back in a special version not being limited to 500 by Jens Schoenfeld and he actually got the permission by the trademark holders to use it as a real Commodore brand anymore so there will be C64 Reloaded again in December Nice. and the Return magazine the German magazine here for Retro from um, Frank Erstling actually announced that they will exclusively exclusively sell the new C64C cases mm-hmm. because Jens Schoenfeld also bought the molds machines. Jens Schoenfeld got the molds from Dallas Moore in Texas, was it at the Kickstarter, and now Jens Schoenfeld did some changes to the molds and there will be high-class quality, Frank Essling said. And they actually announced that they are doing this exclusively selling part at least for a year, maybe longer, at Gamescom. Okay. That's official. And they will come in C64 colors and C64 SX colors. So not in red see-through <laughs> and blue okay but in the regional commodore colors okay you you just put together a machine with one of those uh uh re uh the the the, the remade 64 cases yeah yeah um a year ago already on on our last christmas mm-hmm. i did that christmas 2015 right and recently i used a long board a pret bin board and so um, um, bought that on eBay from the Netherlands right. and put together, um, well, an old new machine, you could say. <laughs> I think they're so, all, I, you could get almost all new parts and they'd still be an old machine because you can't get the newer chips. I mean, they don't make them anymore. Yes, but for my Reloaded, I actually used chips that weren't used before. Hmm. So they weren't really... Um, Second hand. Right, right. So it is possible, at least, mm. when you know where well, to buy stock. it. new old stock. New old stock you can get. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm actually looking for that stuff, too. So you got to share some sources with me, because um, I just got... I, I received, as I'm sure a lot of other people have as well, uh, got word that the uh, the uh, SidFX project is moving forward. They've, they're going to begin manufacturing soon. And uh, so... I should presumably be getting, we should all be getting them in whenever November or whatever it is that they're going to do this. 
And uh, I gotta find a Sid. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I still have like ten lying around. Oh well, send me but one. But some of them, but some of them actually actually don't sound right. But yes, I could send you one. No problem. See, this is my this is what I've been doing. All right, there's a recycling center in in town here, and they've got a a little booth, a little box for electronics, and um, every because this is not my real this is not my job yet scene world when is this going to be my job but but because because this isn't paying the rent yet um i i have a a real kind of job that i go to and one of the things that i do is is i'll do um i'll I'll, i volunteer to do the recycling at this recycling center so i'll load up some stuff usually not much into this big giant van and i go down and then there's this, this box here for old uh, computer stuff, electronics. And so I always find like some old laser printer from 1984 that I can throw out and I'll block the entrance of the thing with the, with the van and go in there. And I found old Ataris and some apples and some 16 bit Macs and stuff, but never any Commodore stuff yet. But I'm, I'm hoping that eventually one of these weeks I'm going to go in there and there will be a C64. It does, it doesn't need to work. I just want the SID chip out of it. In fact, I'd prefer yeah. if it didn't work because I don't want to take a working C64 and and you know cannibalize it for parts. That's something we wanted. To, that's something I wanted to talk about for this podcast introduction. Yeah. So when we did the C64, we loaded review. Yes. And Kevin Castillos did it. Mm-hmm. Alter us. And there Very were good people. Review. Yes, you have to watch it. Use your And people were asking us a couple of questions like. Can I unplug plug the joystick without switching off my C64? Can I plug headphones and unplug them without destroying my C64? And I always said we are not going to give any comment on that. And here is why. Here is why. So let me explain you why. On the Pratt bin, the first C64 version, there wasn't a protection of the CR ship that would make the keyboard and the joystick work so if you keep the c64 on and you unplug plug your joysticks if you if you are unlucky you could at some point break your c64 keyboard and joystick ports and it would not work anymore and i know that because i've got a c64g where this actually happened so my grandfather back then had to exchange the cr ships because people broke it by making making mess with the joystick ports. The latest, the newer C64C had actually protection diodes in front of the well, the circuit for the CR ship. Mm-hmm. So you actually can remove or unplug your joysticks. And then there was this other thing when I got my Mega Drive. And I was like, wow, I can use the Mega Drive game controllers on our on my C64. And then we had this internal discussion where Andrew, Andrew Fisher, our staff member, said, no, don't do that, because there might be a chance that you actually fry your CR ship, because on, on some occasions, if you're unlucky and press a certain combination, by accident, you can actually fry your CR ship. And he actually sent me um, an article about it and uh, a schematic where you can solder an adapter to put in between the game controller and your ZZZ4 to avoid 
this overvoltage causing by the gamepad. And here's the thing. Even H.A. said it never happened to him. And, well, you could be lucky and nothing happens. Still, I don't think any of that experimental stuff, you know, should be covered or is covered by warranty. No, no. If you destroy your Z64 Reloaded because you didn't, you didn't switch off your machine, it's pretty much your problem i think and we we will not say oh yes you can you can do all that stuff you don't have to power it off and then it something dies and people tell us but steamboat said i can't do that i mean what's the point here if if you have an old machine handle it with care that's my point of view well yeah i think now, that goes for without saying for anything at this point yes so sorry guys we will not make a statement on any of our YouTube videos where we ask no. answer questions like, can I avoid switching off my machines and unplug plug the things? Yeah, now, now I had a 64C. That was my first 64. And I was very – I unplugged things from that all the time without turning it off. And I, I, I didn't use the, the Genesis controllers, the Mega Drive. But I used the actual original Sega Master System controllers. Same controllers, same yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I never had a problem. They always worked. Um, but something did go wrong because towards the end of the time that I had it, the sound went out, and I found out that it was the fuse on the inside, but not before I ripped out the SID and all that. But So something shorted out and, and overload, overloaded the fuse, and I don't know what I did. But, I mean, so there is damage that can be done, and there are some... So, and that, that machine is, is long gone at this point, but, you know, something did damage it towards the end. I don't know what I did to do it. But, you know, so you do have to be, especially now when these things are, you know, 30 years old, you got to really, you got to treat it like a 30-year-old piece of machinery, you know, understand that that it's not as young as it used to be. And, and maybe even if it could do it back then, if it could handle that kind of thing, maybe it can't anymore because it's, it's, it's old. And even with the C64 Reloaded, because that was my point, I mean, I mean why should Jens... Um, implement protection in case somebody does something stupid. I don't think if you if you destroyed your C64C chip by using Mega Drive or Master System controllers, that Commodore would say, "Oh, no problem. It's still covered by warranty." No, it's not. Well, if you would, if you told not. them, you'd be like, uh, you, you wouldn't tell them. Oh, I was using a Sega controller. Now you'd just be like, it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, but anyway, my point is. Don't try it. The, the, the bottom nowadays, line is that that nothing that's made by Commodore has a warranty anymore anyway because there is no Commodore. So don't break yeah. anything because nothing is ever going to be covered. Yes, but anyway, don't expect us to tell you what you can do with your Commodore Retro without destroying it. Yeah. That's totally up to you. And as it's nowadays known that at least the Mega Drive controllers can destroy your CR ship, why trying it? What's yeah. the point? Yeah. Do you really want to go the risk and fry your machine? I mean, I would rather build the box for five euros mm -hmm. and have it connect in between to make sure nothing can happen to my Z64. That's actually what I'm doing. I have this little box between my Z64 and whenever I want to use a Mega Drive controller, I connect it and it's all good. 
Yeah. I mean, nowadays we have the knowledge. Nowadays we have the internet. Nowadays we have access to If you want a really nice controller, use an emulator and use like a PlayStation controller, an Xbox controller, and that's right there. <laughs> that, that solves right. everything. Nothing's going to short out there. Yeah, and that's also true. No, and my point was just don't don't, don't ask us of Scene World uh, to tell you if you can plug or unplug your stuff without turning turning off your Commodore 64 yeah. reloaded because yeah. that's really um, well. I mean, why would you be so lazy? It's <laughs> not 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 hard to switch off a machine to connect or disconnect a cable. Yeah. I mean, remember, this is not this is not USB. This is not plug and play. This is even so. It's a, a newly made machine. It's still a Commodore sixty four. That was my point. Yeah. Okay. So what else have we got going on? Yeah, you said the um, SID upgrade is coming out soon. Yes. Yes. SID mm-hmm. FX. SID FX. Yes. You can find that at SIDFX.dk. It is the ultimate SID solution, they say. And, and it's no soldering, and you can, uh, you know, it, it's pretty much, th- this is plug and play. Uh, <laughs> you can swap between two different kinds of SIDs. You can have them both going at the same time as a stereo SID. You can do all kinds of stuff. At the moment, they're not they're not taking any more orders. Ordering is closed. So those there's but a can. there is a waiting list it's an extremely optimistic yeah. waiting list because i don't know of anyone that's going to drop out at the last minute <laughs> but but you know aside from that i ordered the one for the reloaded hmm. obviously yes which one did you order i ordered the one for the uh the well the 128 which i think is the regular old c64 great cuz i have a commodore With 128 the longer cable no, uh, no, I think it's actually the shorter cables. Okay. But it, it was for whatever. I think it was regular 64 and 128. And I think that the uh, the 64 reloaded was different. And uh, there was also um, one of those three options was also for the SX64. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. So, yeah, so it, it's so that's coming out, which it looks really, really awesome. That's I don't like to make too many alterations to stuff. And, and, or, or rather, if I was going to put a second SID in, my my expansion of choice for a lot of things is just a cartridge. You know, rather than opening things up and messing with things, I, I prefer just to plug them in. But this is one of those deals where I will make the sacrifice and I will open the computer and I will, I will drill holes in it and whatnot for this because it looks that cool. So yeah, pretty neat. And I'll do a review of that, maybe. Wow, great. <laughs> I'll totally do a review. review. Yeah, yeah, I will totally do a harder review of that when when I get it. I will I will go to town. Great. I'll make that pledge right now. Great. Great. And soon coming out Bombshell, right? Yes, Bombshell, bombshell will be coming out soon as well. Yes, yes. That'll be uh I'm I'm working on that. Working on that. I I'm I'm awaiting some good footage of gameplay. I will provide that. No yes, problem. Yes, so you will provide. Yes, and there's news from Three Realms. I mean, people who follow us, they remember we did we did an interview, two interviews actually, one for our uh, fifth podcast with Three Realms, and the other one was for the museum in Frankfurt, the film museum. Yes. And we we had two questions, like, why don't you do Kickstarter, and when there is a successor for 
Commander Keen. Mm -hmm. And the time is now. Oh. Now there is a successor of Commander Keen. It's called Rod Rogers, and it's going on by Kickstarter. Ooh. Whoa. Okay. Yes. So, it's nice. They have been listening to us, AJ. Yeah. Really happy. Really happy. <laughs> and there will be a box version for 100 bucks. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 100 bucks? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, that's that's relatively reasonable, I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, so so I asked I asked Mike, you know, mm -hmm. if if they can't do an affordable <clears throat> box version, if um if they can't do an affordable box version, and um so they came up with that one hundred bucks, so one hundred euros um box version. That's pretty neat. Yes, it is. Yeah. So go to Kickstarter and go to Rod Rogers, the return of the 90s era Apache platformer, mm -hmm. and there you can find it. Okay. And it's a week to go when you listen to this. Right, right. So make your pledge and support them. Nice. They are actually pretty, pretty far. They have a goal of $50,000, and they are already reached... Thirty-eight thousand fifty grand might seem like a lot to some people, but really for a video game, that's not—that's nothing. That's that's a drop in the bucket for what these things normally cost to make. Yeah. As, and... we, as we've learned through this podcast, because the longer we yeah. go along this, again, I, I always thought that a, you know, a video game—it's you know, two guys or some guy drawing, some guy coding, and then you knock a game out. And now, no, no, they're they're multi-million dollar affairs with you know hundreds of people and you know all all this nonsense going on they're almost like movie productions really so i Definitely. mean 50 grand for a game is not not asking much at all and john so john sir john the voice actor of duke nukem will also be there oh and part of the game yes oh, there you go Nice. Yeah. I want to make a quick plug for um for a, an online store that I've got this this Commodore 128 and I I've broken it out over the last, you know, I guess year or so. And it's 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 in really nice condition. It's not yellowed or anything, and I've been trying to keep it that way because as we all know, the sun is what yellows uh the the plastic. Um, so better to have a daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been I've been using a towel to cover this thing with for a while, and it's just not convenient, and it, it doesn't work very well. I found a cover online on eBay, uh, and I bought that. And it's you know it's it's a, it's a it's a fake leather cover. It's black, and it has Commodore One Twenty Eight on it, and it's custom embroidered or or, or stitched or however it is. Um, but th this, this, uh, it's a small store and they make covers for, I mean, I'm looking at Dreamcast and, and Jaguar and Intellivision and old Atari systems and Sega Genesis and, and, you know, all these different Vic 20 and, and the 64, all these different things. They make, they make custom covers for them and they're really nice, high quality covers and they're, you know, like 15 bucks, 15, 18 bucks. So it's totally worth it. And I just wanted to 
because this this cover is pretty awesome that I got, and I just sort of wanted to give them a a shout out and a plug on the show for making something cool. Nice. And the, the store, if you want to see it, is uh, it's stores.ebay.com/slash Papa Nanny Fun Stuff. Uh, I'll we'll put a link in the description underneath the podcast here, so you guys can can go there and and get a cover and and you know support them because they're doing something they're doing something cool and unique for for you know this kind of scene that not too many people are really that into. So yeah. Yes, and I also want to let you know, guys, that actually the former community manager of Extra Life and Abled Gamers, Rick Heaton, is actually looking for a job again. Okay. Yeah. So, he is an incredible guy, and he knows his job pretty well. And he has been a community guy, you know, for a long, long time in the game industry. For yeah. example, for for Warner Brothers games, you know... Because Lord of the Rings Online, he did stuff for you. Didn't he? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, and then, we and then, we talked to him in the podcast when he was community manager for Extra Life. Yes. So guys, 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 if you have any job in the well video game industry for a community manager, please let us know, and we will put it towards Rick, so he can apply to you. Yes. Um. Email us, podcast at seamworld.org, and we will gladly forward it to Rick. Mm-hmm. This guy needs a new job. I mean, he is he's really a, very good with kids, especially, too. Yeah, fundraising, charity stuff. He's he's amazing with that. So I can't see him staying out of work too long, even without our help. But, you know, he's, he's a friend of the show. Yet. Yeah, he's a friend of yeah. the show. And, you know, we, we like him. So absolutely. Yes, we should totally make this a regular thing because first we had an announcement every, that every month we try to find Rick a new job. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, first, first we had um, we had 3D Rams looking for a graphic guy, AAA graphic. Mm-hmm. Now we have Rick looking for a job. Seen World One ads. Yeah. So, so uh, Paul Solomine, who is the organizer of a video game con, is is waiting right over here. So let's pop over to him and get the podcast going. Today we are talking to Paul Solomine. Hello, Paul. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks for having me. So you organized a video game con, which uh, this is the second year that it's happened was this year. Yeah, that's correct. But it is not just me. There is plenty of other people on the staff, for sure. Hmm. But you are the main guy or something? I would say, I would say, sure. I am pro- most likely would be considered <laughs> the main event organizer. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I should, I should maybe tell how I, how I heard about Video Game Con because last year I was actually doing um, an interview. And as um, as a part of that, it was it was a laptop put in an arcade, and then I spoke to Billy Mitchell, and then like, oh, well, there's somebody else. There's Richie Knuckles. Would you like to talk to him too? And I said, like, well, why not? And then he told me, oh yes, I'm I'm on Twitch and I'm doing this show, and this show on Twitch that I saw at the Richie Knuckles Twitch channel was was you. Where you where you advertised a video game con? 
And oh, we yeah. were discussing if Billy Mitchell would attend and if if Richie Knuckle would support you with arcades and stuff. Yep, yeah, that was probably thinking back, I'm gonna say maybe April or March of 2015, something like that. And it yeah. was Richie Knuckles, his Twitch stream, and exactly. uh, we, we were at his arcade, and we were just kind of discussing the details of the uh, show. And uh, he said if it hit the goal, he would come, in which he did keep his promise, and he did come. He was our guest for the first year. Yes. And it's interesting because AJ and I, we discussed about it, and he said, there's nothing in New Jersey. If there was something, I would... Totally yeah, you've been there. talking about getting me out to Germany for Gamescom and, and sending me this place and that place, and it's like there's nowhere near here. And then this comes up, and it's like, oh, that's down the street from my grandma's house. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that was probably one of the main reasons why this even started was because I go to a lot of, um, I guess, gaming-related events, not even just conventions, just general, like, maybe competitions, too. And I always realized... At the bare minimum, I was driving two hours. There was nothing in a less than a two-hour two driving radius to where we held the convention. Nothing really in New York City or nothing really in North Jersey. So that is really one of the main reasons why a video game con exists as an annual event. And you started via Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, generally we did start by a Kickstarter. It was more so to gain awareness because... Our goal was really low. It was only $4,000, which was the estimate for re just reserving the venue at the time for one day. Um, and uh, we did reach the goal. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, even if we didn't hit the Kickstarter, we were going to do it pretty much anyway. Um, mm -hmm. But it was a, a good good way to gain, you know, awareness and advertise the existence and, just sort of, um, you know, bring up the hype of uh, a convention in New Jersey. And the first one, I mean, it, it really it, it went over. I mean, it was there was it was packed. Uh, yeah, definitely. I would. There was there was about a give or take. It was probably the real number was probably like two thousand four seventy six or something like that. But we just said twenty five hundred, and there was about twenty five hundred people that were definitely in our registration system for one day that day. And it was a mosh pit when there was a one day convention for sure. Definitely. I would say you would, you would definitely have seen the difference going to both years. And, uh, this year it was two days and it, and it actually kind of worked out in our benefit because it was only about a hundred more people, but spread over two days. So there was 2,600 people, but, um, you know, it was a split between Saturday and Sunday. And of course, there was the people who went to both days, weekend passes, and, you know, vendors, staff, guests, what have you, were, of course, there both days. So it, it, the, so this year, pretty much, it, it stacked up pretty well compared to last year. Yeah, I would say it was pretty much give or take equivalent. Um, I think just the spread over two days and the ticket price pretty much evened it out, um, you know, from... Uh, from an organization standpoint and a cost perspective, like basically everything like doubled, like just to run the show in terms of cost and time and commitment. It was just times two is what it all came down to. It's, it's interesting because I remember last year we were discussing about the ticket price and AJ was like, this can't be real. This is too cheap. You know, this, 
this is too low for an entrance fee. And I told him, well, it's in the Kickstarter. I'm pretty sure it is. It is the original price. I don't know how much it was, like 10 bucks or something or 12. I don't know. It was pretty low. Exactly. That that was that was definitely a driving force to having so many people jam packed into one day. I mean, the ticket tiers were at first ten dollars on Kickstarter, then fifteen dollars in advance, and then twenty dollars at the door. Very simple. And uh, I think that's why a lot more people committed to coming to the convention because it was just so so low. I mean, I can't even think of any other event in in the tri-state area period where I can spend. 10 bucks, 15 bucks, you know, what have you to go to it. It doesn't exist, you know? And, um, you know, I think that's why there was just, there was just an overload of people in one day. And, you know, it worked because it, it it's, it's a risk going to, uh, a, a show the first year. You don't know if it's gonna, you know, stink or it's going to be awesome or it's going to be somewhere in between. You're pretty much accepting to go to the unknown. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, having a lower price gave people, you know, they, they were less worried. It was less of a risk to say, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever it's 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 20 bucks at the door. I, I might as well just check it out. And even if it sucks, it, you know, it was only 15 bucks. So, you know, I guess that was the thinking behind that. Hey, Jay, what did you think when you first entered the, the um, event, I think you were totally amazed about how many people and how yeah, we, how we, much we didn't, thing you had. We didn't know what to expect from the first year when we came up to it. We weren't sure really what to expect. Uh, and when we we drove up to it and it was just it, the parking lot was full and we ended up having to park down the street in a cul-de-sac somewhere and, and you know, walk back to it. And my brother and I were just kind of. Uh, in fact, we did the video of it, and we're just sort of sitting there in the car going, like, what, what, what is this? And then we went in, and it was, you know, just full of people, and, and, and everyone was, was – this is the first con I've ever gone to. So, you know, so I didn't even know what to expect from that, and it was just – it was a really cool event, and it was, it was fun. Well, thanks. I'm glad that you had a good time and a good experience, man. In the second year, we got – you know, we, we came on on Sunday uh, – so it was a little bit more low key, I guess, than the than the first year. There were still a lot of people there, but it wasn't quite as manic as as. But again, I I didn't see Saturday, and Saturday, from what I've seen on YouTube, people are putting videos up, and Saturday looked pretty uh, pretty busy. Yeah, definitely. I would say it was it was definitely more people for sure on Saturday, without a doubt. Uh, I would say there was probably like. 30% more people. I don't know the exact number, to be honest with you, without looking right now, but it was definitely more. And uh, I think you did go a good day because we had some additional guests that were on Sunday only, and we kind of wanted to even out the play field, so to speak, with uh, James uh, Rolf, the Angry Video Game Nerd, and uh, Terry Diebold bringing the uh, PlayStation SNES CD prototype to uh, the con. So. Mm. I just missed James. He he must have just left when I got there. He was it was a it was a midday signing. Yeah, but he was a good draw to have that day. I mean, even if you know, even if it's kind of a, you know like a it's sort of a half day. I think it ended sort of early. I mean, some getting like a name like that in there is sort of good to keep keep interest in and and get people to come back. And uh, and I think the other thing to bring out, I guess, because we're kind of discussing comparing year one to year two. Mm -hmm. is that we definitely 
brought up um, the amount of arcade machines. That was for sure. There was close to 80 this year uh, and definitely a widespread variety of everything from classic gaming to 70s, 80s to the 90s, as well as even the 2000s with a lot of Japanese um, specific music and rhythm games that were at the show. And uh, we brought 16 total candy cabs filled with pretty much the uh, top tier 2D fighters, uh, as well as some Neo Geo um, shoot 'em ups, and uh, as well as some just action run and guns like uh, Metal Slug were in those as well. And so that was just definitely a big draw and probably my highlight, actually, just to walk in that room and see 80 arcade machines going at once. Um, you know, it was awesome from at least my perspective to just bring all that and gather it to uh, one place. Yeah, there were there were a lot more than, than last time. I remember last year it was maybe half the room was full and then there was kind of like a standing room for if anything was happening on stage. And this year it was the entire room was just games. Yeah, and uh, that was that was the goal. So I guess we succeeded, and uh, and we definitely you know increased I guess the amount of um, I guess uh, people on the staff for tournaments as well, so we could run a little bit more tournaments throughout the the two days. So that was spread out too, um, and the console room was pretty much give or take the same. Um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of like rarer stuff this year. Cause it was kind of a scramble to get the console room together, but uh, we did have, you know, give or take eighty total consoles in there, not including the tournaments. And um, you know, there was a lot of stuff, everything from you know Atari twenty six hundred, pretty much the present on free play, and and everything was pretty much being played on CRTs. Um, and we also had, um, I think, another great thing for me was just the amount of PVMs we had. We had a, a row of at least eight or ten PVMs all with variations of um, of um, Turbo Graphics slash PC Engine setups. So there's pretty much everything from the Turbo Duo, the Duo R, to the Super Graphics, um, even just to the, the suitcase setup of uh, the PC Engine. So there was a lot of cool stuff, um, you know, that probably a lot of people didn't even know, you know, existed unless you're you know, like a hardcore collector or retro gamer or something like that, you know, mm. you would think like people that are just like coming, you know, from a local New Jersey event, they're probably coming in and going, what is this? What is this, this PC engine thing? You know what I mean? So a <laughs> lot of people have no idea what that is, you know? So it's, it's pretty cool, I guess, to expose people to our hobby and, uh, you know, bring that to the show. Yeah, it's actually interesting. I mean, we, we talk about that all the time. I mean, People out there that are not retro retro gamers, not in the scene, they don't know that still there's a community and still there's new stuff coming out, new hardware, new games. Uh, people don't know that, you know. So yeah, it's pretty much true. Um, yeah, I was telling my my, my friend over here that uh, she had a, uh, and it still does have actually a uh, 3DO. The old, uh, you know, 3DO systems growing up, and and you know, she has all, I probably like 15 games that were ever made for it. And you know, I was saying to her, oh, you know, you should bring this up to one of these cons one of these days. And she's like, no one would ever want to touch that thing. Like, well, yeah, there's four of them in existence, and you've got one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think yeah, we did have 3DO at the convention. We had the um, Samurai Showdown port playing, which was uh, one of the probably the best home port of it besides neo geo aes obviously so like 
that was pretty cool. I, I guarantee you people playing that had no idea what they were even touching. So. <laughs> and I also wonder how, how difficult or how easy is it for you to put the program together and to get famous people like the Anchor Video Game Nerd. I mean, that's, that must be quite a challenge. We've been I mean, trying even... to get him for years. So can't get him. <laughs> that's actually true, yes. We, we didn't get him yet, so... Um, so I guess my answer to that is it's definitely not an easy task. It's a lot of time. Um, it's a lot of commitment of, of, yeah, just scheduling time. It's a lot of commitment of money. Um, it's, it's a lot of things, uh, that come to it. And I would say my estimate from, from the end of the 2015 show to the two th 2016 show, I would say I probably committed about a thousand hours over a year to organize and create the show. Um, and in terms of, to answer your question, to book some of these, I guess, you know, um, some of the, the main people within our community or, you know, celebrities or YouTube personalities like angry video game nerd, it was a slow burn because from, from one point it was just communicating with them, finding the contacts to just, discuss with them or even email them or even talk on the phone that was step one just from networking and then two just even making the show worth their while like for example year one to get these youtubers to come out you know where you know they maybe have to set up a table or something like that and 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 also have the money to get them out there we didn't have that for year one so year two we had a little bit more um I guess ammo, so to speak, to do so. So it, it was just a it was just a fact of that. And uh, I would say it was a two year email chain to talk wow. to James to wow. actually get him to come because one his schedule is pretty jam packed. Um, he's pretty strict about his uh, filming and editing and stuff like that, as far as I'm aware of. And um, I think that's one thing too. It's just it's just it's just like does it work on the day? you know, is it a commitment? You know, it was very, con it was also very convenient for James because as far as I know, he lives in the Philadelphia area and, uh, he only came <laughs> Sunday. So he basically just had to drive, you know, Sunday morning, show up, do the meet and greet, and he could drive home and be at his house in time for dinner. You know what I mean? He didn't have to stay there the whole weekend. So that was another thing too. I, I made it, you know, convenient for him. And I made, made sure everything was easy in terms of, uh, you know, coming out and stuff. So, yeah, you, you are making a point here. I mean, people don't know how much effort it takes in the background to even get in contact with people and getting the contact data and so on. I mean, I remember I spent 10 years finding, um, Chris Craig, who did who did some music and was the sound manager for Epics back in the day, you know, and that took me ten years because he was so hard to find, and then it was so hard to catch him on the phone. I remember that. So yeah, so people don't know how much effort it is, and as you said, it took you an email chain of two years to sort things out. So oh yeah, definitely, and um, you know it, it's. Yeah, it's just it's just time. I think it all comes down to with an event or organizing with people. It's it's communication, time, and money. Those are probably the three things that always come together 
to basically make this happen. And it's a whole lot of communication. It's a whole lot of time and it's a whole lot of money is probably what it all comes down to. <laughs> well, I have the advantage. I'm in Germany. I can do the communication with USA after my work when I'm home, <laughs> right before dinner or something. Um, so, so let me ask you, Uh, did you do this? Did you do such an event planning or something before? I mean, what what else did you do? I mean, I've never heard of you before before a video game con. Yeah, that's yeah. To be honest with you, I do not have a background in event planning whatsoever. And uh, in terms of being involved in the community, I was just like anybody else. I was uh, pretty much uh, a collector hiding in the shadows. I wasn't really present on. Um, you know, forums big time. I think you know, there's a few forums, of course I posted, but like I wasn't really big, like on YouTube, you know, all that kind of stuff, like social media and all that kind of, kind of things. Um, but I was always a collector since I was able to hold a controller in my hand pretty much to give you background. But in terms of running the event, um, I have a background in project management. So, I think it was just easy to apply aspects of project management to event management because it's basically the same thing. It's communication, time, and money. And that's what I do, um, I guess, for my day job or my career. So uh, it was very transferable um, to it. And um, to be honest with you, probably that's the only plus that came out of my day job to, to uh, you know, from my experience to apply to it. And, um, and I guess it was just kind of like, it was just, it, it just sort of, I saw the opportunity because I, um, go to a lot of conventions like we were speaking about before and I just kind of researched it on my own and it was just like an idea and I always had the idea and I kind of just forced myself to get off my butt and, and do it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all it came down to. I, I just felt like I had the contacts, I had the drive. And I had the, I guess, background in terms of pretty much running a startup, so to speak, or uh, communicating to execute a project. I don't know if that makes sense, but I guess that's kind of my answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're pretty pretty good. I mean, I remember I was putting it on our scene world Twitter that AJ is going to a video game con and a few minutes later you were like retweeting it and AJ was oh my god they retweeted it <laughs> so that yeah. really works yeah and that's and that's the other thing too um you know like social media and like retweeting and all that that's that's just something like even though like I said I didn't have like a big presence like within the community I was always like uh, like most people I guess obsessed with social media like Twitter Instagram and Facebook and um I actually do have a background in digital advertising, which is what I do project management for. So it kind of made sense that, you know, I understand digital advertising, social media advertising, and, uh, and, uh, I have a background in like some front end development. I'm not the best front end developer. I think my website looks like crap, to be honest with you, but like I was able to actually just do it. You know what I mean? And, um, You know, it was just more about getting information up there and pretty much all the web stuff, all the the uh, social media and stuff like that. I mean, that's all me. I mean, no one else is running that stuff. And um, I guess that helped me as well. So so essentially you're already working on next year. <laughs> um, I mean, 
I'll be honest with you. The only thing that really happens between now and I would say January 1st, 2017 is just, um, is kind of just like talking about it, networking really. And, um, which is a big aspect of it for sure. Um, and, uh, deciding on the date and then announcing the date. And, um, you know, I can already tell you without a doubt, it's going to be at the same venue again for year three. Um, believe it or not, we have not outgrown that venue yet, even though it's not the best venue in the world. Um, but, um, what else was I going to say? Yeah, it's just, it's just reserving the venue. And in the next few months, I just go to conventions as, you know, another person attending, or maybe we have a table from like a table swap. And pretty much I just network. I meet people, I meet vendors, I meet other YouTubers, stuff like that. And I talk about it and I say, Hey, you know, September, 2017, our next one's coming up and we're year three, you know, that's pretty much all that that happens. And then I would say, maybe starting the beginning of January, I start selling tables and advertising online and and then it's just a repeat um, from from there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I think that the, the Pal is actually a pretty good venue for that. I think it works out pretty well. It's a good amount of space and it's not, you know, there, there's decent parking. And I, I thought it worked really well for, for the times that I've been there. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate the feedback. And, um, you know, we're, we're we definitely adjusted even to using the Pal as well because I don't know if you noticed, but we were running shuttles uh, for overflow mm-hmm. parking, so we were prepared for you know lots and lots of people to come, and we'll we'll still do that idea so that we're we can expand to having more people. I mean, pretty much, I think um, that venue over the course of two days could probably handle four thousand to forty five hundred people throughout the weekend, mm-hmm. pretty easily, believe it or not, and. Um, you know, once we go beyond that number, then we have to think about, you know, moving somewhere else. So is there something you have already in mind that you want to make different or improve for the next year? Um, the only thing that I came to the conclusion of already in terms of improving is that because this is something maybe not something that's really, um, I don't know, attractive to someone going to the convention this is more of like stuff going on in the background because i'm always thinking about a budget um i'm just thinking about removing things that really didn't weren't needed you know what i mean to basically save some money for the convention and put the money elsewhere uh for example um like for example we printed a lot of t-shirts um it wasn't that we sold a lot of t-shirts but we didn't sell as many as we had hoped um, you know, I just, I just kind of picked up on the fact that people don't care about like, um, uh, like swag and freebies and stuff like that, like little details. So I'm going to probably remove money for, for the budget for that and put more money towards the things that people love, like, um, you know, more arcade, more ar- cool arcade machines, buying more consoles for the free prey room or, um, you know, paying for more guests to, to fly out and come and paying for like their hotel rooms. So it's it's mostly just kind of just shifting things around and putting more oomph, so to speak, into the cool stuff that people really want. Well, hopefully the the t-shirts can be reused for next year. <laughs> uh, yeah, we failed on that one because we did print the date on it. But um, yeah, exactly. But that's fine because it's no worries. We'll just be using those as give of freebies for the next year. Just, just you know, cross print. out the year and marker and put the uh, a different year. <laughs> 
Yeah, we can do that. Uh, but pretty much, I mean, we did it this year too. We just give away the t-shirts for people who win casual tournaments or just, you know, throw them at people during panels, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people still appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, next time, subtitle the show back in time. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, AVGC 2016.5, Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. So here, I'll ask you guys, what do you what do you want to see at the show next year or improvements or changes? And what guests would you want to see at the show? Because that's the thing. You can't always have the same guests over and over. You know, you got to mix it up a bit, right? You know, I, I didn't. When I got there on Sunday, I, you know, I, I don't recall exactly what time. I think it was probably around one or maybe one thirty. Um, we didn't see too many guests, and the the main thing that I could think is almost, a, you know, uh, and, it, and it's probably my fault for not really looking too hard. But I didn't really know where the guests were supposed to be and and when they were going to be. Yeah, unfortunately, that was uh, a downfall this year. We actually had programs printed and uh, the printing got messed up. So we just decided to um, not even hand them out, believe it or not. And we mm-hmm. just had things going on a screen in the website. So okay. for this, for, so for 2017, we're going to print them even farther in advance <laughs> so we can make sure that the printer doesn't mess up and, uh, you know, go from there. You know, those are the little things it's kind of stressful that you actually came in control because you're, you're giving your faith in like so many other people or other businesses to, to make deadlines and stuff. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was one thing that other people said. We actually had, um, a map and stuff like that on the, on the schedule. And even year three, what I'm even thinking is I'll, I'll look into is possibly like other conventions use, um, it's a, Oh, it came to me guidebook. Which is an app, you know, too many games has it. Like you just download it and you can see the map, you can see the schedule. Um, so we'll be looking into something like that, but most likely it will just be a piece of paper printed out so you have a map schedule. Hmm. Yeah, that's what you did the, the first year was a, a, a full kind of program with a map and, and a list of what was happening and when. And that was that was that was great. I was expecting that this year, but it didn't, you know. I get you had issues with the printing and I should have probably looked online before, before going in, but <laughs> yeah, well, we'll definitely have that man for sure. But, yeah. uh, doubt. um, but yeah, we'll probably, uh, you know, go from there. We'll probably just like duplicate that idea, just printed schedules and in, in online stuff. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, guests are guests so far have been have been great, you know, with Billy Mitchell the first year, and uh, and Richie Knuckles, and there were people the first year that I didn't even you, you could tell they were running around with cameras and they had these things on their on their shoulders, you know, the the, the professional camera harness, and you know these guys are from YouTube. I have no idea who they are, but mm-hmm. <laughs> they're from YouTube. <laughs> yeah, you I must mean, be a YouTube guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that's actually a big thing where our convention like there's a lot of up and coming YouTubers or big YouTubers. Most of the big YouTubers that we, of course, you know, invited as guests and, you know, obviously, uh, got them to travel out here and stuff like that and, uh, gave them a place to stay like those people we announced, but there was a lot of up and coming YouTubers 
local to the convention that showed up and just did video coverage. Like if you search a video game con on YouTube and look at the uploads in the past month, I mean, I think it's up to like maybe 20 vlogs that were uploaded, something like that. I mean, there's some pretty good videos too, like a lot of good coverage. Like you can really see what the convention looked like easily on YouTube. Um, and, uh, I would say we had, I think we had like 10 YouTubers as guests this year. Um, so, um, and a lot of them, I would say key YouTubers that are part of the retro gaming scene on YouTube were there. I mean, we had, we of course had James angry video game nerd. We had gaming historian, Pat, the NES punk. Um, we had review tech USA. We had, uh, Shane Lewis from Rerez. Um, we had silver mania. We had eight bit Eric. We had bad graphics gamers. Um, and I'm sure there's somebody I'm forgetting, but there was, those were people that were definitely there. So how does it feel for you to, to make such an event and having so many known people, um, appearing for your event, you know? Um, I mean, it's a definitely, I would say in terms of a feeling, it definitely feels good because, um, I do get, you know, I will be honest. I'm not trying to be negative or anything. I don't, don't make all the money in the world from doing this. This is definitely a passion project for sure. I, without a doubt, um, you know, I definitely get a sense of, I just accomplishment from it because it's just something I wanted to do. You know, I'll be honest with you dudes. I don't get any accomplishment from my day job. You know, that just, that just, yeah, that just pays the bills, you know? Yeah, exactly. I would say most people would agree with that, but I would say that, you know, that's, that's what I really get from it is this, the accomplishment. And I do get to meet these people and, um, You know, from having these guests here and stuff like that, you know, the thing I've learned is that they're just they're just everyday dudes like like all three of us. You know, they're just they just happen to be doing the YouTube thing or they just fell into it, you know, and uh, and then you get to just like network with everybody in the community, which is something I would be doing regardless if I didn't have the convention. So it's uh, I do get, you know, a sense of accomplishment from it and uh, I get to, you know, hang out with everybody in retro gaming i guess which is cool so there's my interviews mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah there you go and i get to talk to you guys i don't know if i would yeah. call that a perk of this <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i mean i i just saw you online on facebook the other day and so like okay let's message paul you know you replied so that was that was it you know um Then I came back to it and asked you again, do you have time this Sunday? Is it yes? So it was pretty straightforward, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. So, um, but, but as I said, you normally, you normally, you normally didn't do that. You normally didn't reach out so much before you did a video game con. So it must have changed your life a bit, a bit more outgoing, a bit more being a public person and a public face in a way. Yeah, I mean, I will be honest to you. Um, I'm, I would say that that definitely has happened. Um, like, um, like, I guess nowadays, like, I, like, I, I and I'm open to it as well. Um, I would say I would definitely to respond to that. I more so was a person that kept to myself in terms of like the hobby, so to speak. But like I was saying before, 
Um, but in my personal life, I was always a very outgoing person and, um, you know, I definitely wasn't an introvert. I was more of an extrovert. So I think like both worlds have sort of crossed over, you know what I mean? Like now, like whenever I go to like an event, like I'm always talking to people and, and networking and stuff like that. So it has kind of changed in that, that aspect. Um, and, uh, it's sort of like a, a PR thing, you know, like I just, um, like me myself, I, I guess I represent the con as a whole, you know? So at this point, like, you know, any of my actions kind of reflect that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to keep in mind nowadays. Um, you know, it's, it's just that there's, there's the opinions of many people that impact an event. It's a very strange thing. And the thing that I've learned, it's actually kind of weird to even say this is that when you run an event, you, you it's impossible to make everybody happy. Um, you know, there's always going to be both positive, uh, negative and constructive feedback that come to an event. <laughs> and, um, and it's, it's very, some of the feedback that you get, um, it is very strange. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's some, there's some things that I guess to answer to you, it, it did impact my life. And there's just some things that you have to like deal with like over time because you're, literally representing an entity and a business so mm. Mm. well well i i can describe it a bit from my perspective you know sometimes there are days you know since since i'm doing the scene world and since we are doing this podcast and so on suddenly you have things like wow missed call from denmark who was that again oh somebody from a game label you know Vice president, I didn't didn't even remember that. So, and uh, suddenly people add me on LinkedIn that I talked to on some event some years ago, and I even didn't remember. So, yeah. So suddenly people know me, you know. And I guess yeah. it's a similar feeling for you, you know. Suddenly they're like, "Oh, this is Paul Solomon," you know. He's this this guy who does this event in New Jersey, you know. <laughs> yeah, and. um And to be honest, I guess there's pros and cons to everything, you know, so I guess there is that aspect. Yes. And, uh, you know, some days I feel like I, I would like to, you know, you know, pretty much my Facebook is no longer my personal Facebook. It's kind of like the the inbox for a video game con now. I guess that's a good that's a good thing to say. Like nothing, nothing I talk about on Facebook is like. Hey, uh, are we going to the movies this weekend? It's always, it's always about the, the convention. So there you go. That's a, that's something that happened. Like basically my online communication or entity is nothing about like personal life of, uh, Hey, you know, me and my girlfriend are going here. It's more about <laughs> Paul. When, when's, uh, when's, when's the arcade machines being delivered? Uh, Paul, when's, um, Uh, when, when are you guys setting up the table at retro world expo in Connecticut, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I meant. <clears throat> yes. Totally, totally matching my experience, you know, <clears throat> I mean, yeah. Hey, who would have thought that some, suddenly I'm friends with, with people like Walter Day, <laughs> <laughs> Never yeah. thought that would happen someday. So hey, nowadays everybody's connected <clears throat> with, uh, with with each other. So pretty normal nowadays. Yeah, and um, 
you know, it's and but it's cool though. But at the end of the day, it is pretty normal. But it's definitely cool because end of day, that is the whole point of a convention or doing these things is that you connect and associate yourself with like minded people. Like, you know, I thought I thought growing up, it's kind of a weird thing to say. Like, I'm looking at your video right now. You have an arcade machine sitting right behind you. You know what I mean? Stuff like <laughs> that's that. true. Yeah. yeah. That I can definitely see that clearly in the video. And like, <clears throat> you know, me growing up, like I always thought I was the only one that was, you know, keeping all these retro, you know, at the time they weren't retro games. They were the games that I grew up with and I would, I would keep everything. And I didn't think that that was like, you know, a th- it wasn't a thing you would, you would think that everyone, you know, traded their games into, you know, in America, there was Funko land in the i'm gonna say the early to mid 90s and then of course later there was you know gaming places like software etc or eb games and then eventually it all became gamestop you know everyone traded in their games i thought game collecting was you know not a thing but then over time through the internet and our community i found out there was plenty of like-minded people you know um always returning to games of the past you know what i mean so i guess it was just cool you know that's probably the coolest thing about this is um you know why these things exist is that we can meet with each other and uh share our love for the hobby you know that we have so that's definitely cool too I mean, the the whole perspective changed for us. I mean, Nintendo releasing an NES clone kind of uh, for Christmas, you know, and suddenly you have like new competition pro for your C64 or Amiga, you know, who, who would have thought that suddenly you get new hardware for old machines and even new games for old um, consoles, you know? And even people who see my arcade, the first thing they ask is, does it work? I said, yes, of course. I wouldn't put it in my living room if it wouldn't work, you know? So, yeah. So it really changed. Um, then you suddenly realize, okay, nowadays um, it's hip again to be retro. And there are a lot more than just you who have the same feeling and the same passion. Yep. Definitely. And it's because of us creating these events or even having like this podcast conversation, the hobby is expanding and it's becoming more mainstream and more and more people by the day are um, getting interested in this. Something that was, you know, <clears throat> almost like taboo or something that was not really something people even acknowledged as a hobby <laughs> besides playing the games themselves is now is now normal. You know. People always told me I collect uh, electronic trash. Yep, and then well, and then there's the, the also there's the saying I don't know if it goes worldwide, but they always say one man's trash is another man's treasure. You yes. know, so that's a common saying as well, and and uh, <clears throat> and now it's uh, now it's becoming that everybody's trash is now everybody's treasure. So you know, yeah. so that's one thing to. Uh, to point out which has changed over the past definitely the past five years more so than ever well for once it's it's good because now you can get new hardware for old machines i mean it was just announced that around christmas there will be new commodore 64 produced and new cases well that's a good thing on the other hand 
you have a lot of people who fi find old stuff on their attic and now they are thinking it's worth millions on eBay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's another problem. Yeah. Started, I, you know? Yeah, that that is another problem too. But, you know, when something becomes popular and, you know, awareness of the hobby, it's, it's supply and demand and, you know, and... Um, and perception of things too. But I think all those people eventually get reality checks when they go to sell their Commodore 64 games and their Vic 20, you know, on eBay and they put it up for $3,000 and then no one buys it, you know, then they get the reality check. But, you know, I guess there's, it's, it's just like anything. The bit, the biggest thing I compare this to is comic books is it always, ex it always existed for a long period of time. But then there's highs and lows throughout the hobby. Maybe it's super popular one year or maybe it just kind of goes in the background again a, another year. But there was always something that will reignite the passion or the interest, you know, what, whether it be, um, you know, re-releasing a NES for the holidays or, um, you know, or putting out a superhero movie when the, the Avengers 2 comes out or something like that. You know, something will eventually bring it back or bring the reality check in or something so to speak i guess that's what i'm trying to get to is that anything anything that was retro becomes modern again so yeah and i have to say one of the things i always find hilarious is when you have a um, a Game Boy game on ebay and everybody writes it's rare and you can buy it like from 50 places like Okay, not really very rare, you know. Or that phone calls with sellers who sell you something broken, and they tell you, "Oh, I thought you'd just have it to showcase in your home." I'm like, "No, I want to play with that stuff," you know. So you can't sell me a broken console or a broken game. It's not working. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's a that's a downfall of uh, eBay itself, I think. <laughs> And and I guess also this this is good to have such such uh, conventions because normally um, you know those people and normally you know what you are getting for your money hopefully at least. Oh yeah, definitely that 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 is a big factor of conventions too. Is that if you're buying a physical item, you get to actually see the item in person. You know, people complain or they comment on prices of things all the time, but. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're in person and the item is right there, you have the opportunity to inspect it. You have the opportunity to test it. You have the opportunity to hold it and you have the opportunity to make the deal because money talks, you know, and art and discuss the pricing as itself. You know, you might go to a convention table and you might see a copy of um, Little Samson listed for $1,500, but then you can look on eBay and see that it's selling for probably $1,050, let us say. And then you can argue with the person and say, hey, you know, this is worth $1,050, even though you have the sticker on it that says $1,500 or something like that. So that's another thing that drives people to conventions, too, um, which which uh, is is a good thing, you know. Um, that you can see these items, you can purchase these items, and you can, you know, um, have the discussion or the argument of the uh, price concern or the rarity right there and on the spot. Um, you know, and that's a thing too. I'm a collector, obviously, of why I started to run this collection, this uh, convention. 
And um, now I make I make literally maybe 5% of my purchases for my collection on eBay and everything else is done at events now. So, so what's your, uh, what is your console of choice for collecting? What's your, uh, the one that you grew up with? Uh, the one I definitely grew up with and which is the answer probably for the majority of retro gamers or nostalgic wise would probably be NES with Sega Genesis coming in second. Um, because that was probably the order of, I guess, systems that I received growing up. Um, but my collection is definitely not focused whatsoever. I definitely <clears throat> consider, consider myself um, an eclectic collector because I literally collect a little bit for every single system. And I mostly focus on um, system exclusives as well as games that are, you know, probably within, you know, the top 50 best games not in terms of value but in terms of playability for the system interesting yeah so i'm so basically to uh i guess answer that i'm not the guy that's going for a complete nes set or i'm not the guy that's going for you know every single ps vita game but i'll definitely collect you know something like that and um you know i'm also very uh thrifty in terms of prices too i i definitely won't go out and just buy something for the sake of seeing it you know i'll hunt hunt for the best possible price or the best possible deal <laughs> before i commit to spending money so that was actually my next question because i have some friends who pay anything for something they want and I'm like you're crazy this is too expensive. Like, oh, but maybe you don't get it like in five years. I'm like, then I rather don't have it than paying an an uh, an in um, ridiculous price for it. So that's a good choice there, you know. Um, but it's all put into perspective. I'm less, I'm less I mean, of a purist. I, I I like the old games, and the way I always looked at it is that I don't even think of it as retro gaming. If a game is good. It's a good game. It doesn't matter how old it is. So I don't care if I'm playing it on an actual machine or on an emulator. One of the, one of the best things that ever happened, in my opinion, is an emulator because I can use like a, a, an Xbox controller to play Super Mario Brothers. You know, that's that's just something you can't get with a with a you know original console. <laughs> I prefer uh, the original hardware. Well, uh, I'm yeah, the total opposite well, here. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of people do prefer the original console, but I'm I'm kind of a I don't know. I like to configure my stuff. I'm I'm a, I'm a lefty, so you know I like the controllers backwards. And, you know, I would say I'm even in the middle ground of both of you guys because <clears throat> in terms of playing, I I will play on anything. I play on both. I alternate. Like maybe I'll play on emulation or or um, you know something else for the sake of convenience, or uh, or I will play on the actual system too. I have both both set up so to speak and in terms of playing um i would say most of my focus on playing nowadays is all modern gaming like you know playstation 4 xbox one wii u and pc and of course the handhelds 3ds and vita and all my collecting is heavily focused on retro you know what i mean because i've played most of these games over time you know, growing up, uh, you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 30 and, 34. Uh, and well, there you go. So you, oh, you I'm about that too. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so you're, you're exposed to pretty much all the generations of gaming too, but you know, um, let me put it this way. If I go to, um, 
a retro convention or a video game store and I pick up, you know, a few NES games, I'm not going to rush to pop it in and play it. I'm going to be like, all right, I have it in the collection. Cool. I remember playing this game. Maybe I'll return to it. You know, I'll play it on emulation or maybe I'll play it on my, uh, my, um, EverDrive on my NES, but like, mm. it's just more so to have it, you know, to actually physically hold the game, so to speak. And then, um, you know, 90% of the time I'm playing the latest game that came out on like PS4 or something like that. So. Well, I'm a PC, I'm a PC gamer, but I have new games on a PC. Yeah. <clears throat> so I play new games too. But one thing I've noticed is, I mean, in my in my personal life, apart from the hobby, you know, co-workers, friends who don't share my hobby of retro gaming, there are like, you know, the good old times when there was Maniac Mansion, Zach McCracken, you know, uh, that those games were, were awesome, or Ski or Die or something. And I'm like, yes, for you, this is past, for, but for me, this is present, because I'm still hanging out with friends playing that, you know? And yeah, and actually, actually, I, I've met Ron Gilbert on on Gamescom last year. So for me, it's it's interesting because what is past for other people is present for me. It's present and future. Hope hopefully, this is always me. I always felt like this is weird because they they have it like a memory, and I have it like a it present. Was, it's thing. like it's in my living room. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my thing. That's cool. Yeah, I totally get you. You know, and people are like, what, you still have that thing? Does it even work? And why do you keep it? I'm like, why not, you know? <laughs> so I don't have to complain so, about having played it in my youth and how good those days were. Now I can play it now and realize that, oh, no, Winter Games still does suck. <laughs> well, he isn't a fan of Winter Game. I like, I like it. But um, you mentioned, Paul, you mentioned networking before. And one of the best things I felt is that I'm able to to speak from to the heroes of my youth. You know, I can talk to people like Chris Hulsbeck or Dave Lowe, who did all the home computing game music conventions, you know, uh, like like uh, Street Fighter 2, you know, and that's that's really awesome. And I think I think maybe you feel the same when you have a when you have a VIP person to your show coming i'm like i always wanted to meet this guy and now i have him on my show yep oh yeah definitely it is very cool to have the opportunity to invite people that you um you know actually are a fan of you know and and you can make the choices and and stuff like that it it, it is very cool and um and uh and i guess i can say is that it kind of happened this year it was it was definitely a cool factor because I was always a big fan of angry video game nerd, gaming historian, and Pat the NES punk. To actually have it was a moment for me to to realize, you know, that they these were people that I've been watching or following or you know listening to their podcasts for literally years, years, and then um, you know, and then to have them in person and then just talk to them like they're just you know a a buddy or a, you know, a pal or something like that, that they're just another person is, is pretty cool. You are absolutely right. It is pretty cool thinking about it. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I had, I had the voice actor of Mario wishing me Merry Christmas on WhatsApp last year. <laughs> 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 you know, I was like, wow, I even didn't know that he has WhatsApp, you know, but he found me and he remembered that we had an interview with him. So 
that was nice. <laughs> so That's yeah, definitely cool. Maybe maybe this year, even to think out loud, maybe it's more of a focus on you know there will be the focus on YouTubers and you know like we did last year the the heroes of classic gaming so <laughs> to speak. Maybe this year I can focus more on um, the creators that you mentioned, those who actually made the games. You know that'd be awesome. Or maybe even. Uh, people who voice the characters like voice actors and stuff like that well i can i can help you there if you like i have some some connections with some people well there you go then then there's the place to start see you said it there there's networking it continues even right now <laughs> yeah but but sure i mean if if i can help you to get some some uh, creators you know no problem i mean they i'm still in touch with them you know so no problem Tell me who would who who you would like, and I will see who I can get he'll for hunt, you. He'll hunt them down like a dog. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Paul. I think Paul already recognized that because, as I said earlier, he he was online. I was totally jumping on Paul. You know, <laughs> so can't go on Facebook for three seconds without your messaging me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we thought we thought about inviting you earlier, Paul. Um, so we thought it would be um, a perfect moment to have you now. You know. You no. Know? All right. Well, thank you for having me. Great. Let me uh, let me finish it up with 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 another uh, with one quick question. Um, any really good memorable moments from either of these? Because in the first con, when we were getting ready to leave. I think it was. I think it was actually your brother was there. He was working security, I think. Mm-hmm. And he pulled me aside and he said, "He goes, see that game over there." He's like, "When I was a kid, I had this game and I had the high score in it. And then we sold the game years ago. And now at the con, he found the same game is running on this console, and his <laughs> his score is still in there." <laughs> yeah, because you know what, most of those games. I think he thought that maybe we sold it, but I just had it. And I had brought, like, the first year, most of those cartridges. I would say the first year, 90% of the things in the free play area was my collection. (laughs) And, you know, it wasn't, um, like, it was my collection available for everyone to play. So those were our carts that we grew up (laughs) on. So, And uh, most of the batteries, it was probably a Nintendo 64 game because most of the batteries in the Nintendo 64 games are still good and they still do have the saves from you know 1996 1997 what have you Hmm. so it's it's pretty it is pretty crazy but um that's a good memory to point out uh that's pretty cool but a thing that comes to my mind um i would say is 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 it's there's not one that stands out i'll be honest with you it's just kind of a combination i would say it was just the moment of, you know, opening the doors, I would say the first time, uh, the first year and then seeing people line up and, and I was just, it was just like all coming together that like something I had planned for so long was actually happening and people were, you know, hyped about it. And just to see that line before we opened the doors at 10 AM on Saturday was a pretty memorable moment because the line just went it, it seemed like a, you know, it just kept going, and it, it ended up going into the woods surrounding the the building. And so, probably that's the the moment for me is that, you know, it was the realization that I created something, and 
you know, it was, it was literally about to go down and then it happened, you know? Well, you really created something awesome from yeah. what I heard, from what H.A. said, you know? Yeah, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm glad you guys had a good time. And, uh, you know, um, and I'm looking forward to uh, kind of experiencing other events of other people, you know, um, coming up in uh, the next month. Because even around the corner, you know, AJ, I think you are, like you said, local to Parsippany. Mm -hmm. In uh, October, I guess is kind of a plug for my friends, is uh, October 15th and 16th is uh, Retro World Expo at the Oakdale Theater Theater in Connecticut. And that's going to be another event, which is kind of our sister convention um, because it's very similar to ours. And uh, a lot of our friends run that show. So that should be a, a blast. Cool. Maybe maybe you even come international, Paul. Maybe to Gamescom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eric's obsessed with getting everybody to Gamescom. Yeah, because I run I run a booth there for Scene World, you know. So yeah, he wants so everyone to come there so we come. can stalk you at the con. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, I always hear about Gamescom that it is pretty much the biggest video game convention on the planet. It and is the biggest one. Yeah, half a million visitors. That's this crazy. year. Yeah, that's crazy all in itself. Um, maybe one year because, to be honest with you. I have to plan in advance for that one. If anything, if I were coming over to uh, to to there, I would probably have to plan not only uh, the convention itself, but plan around it to actually explore the surrounding areas. And uh, no problem, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so I mean, the date is already known, so yeah. And then there's the other thing of taking off from work, and then we'll see where that goes. So hopefully, I can I can line up those days, man. Or you, or you make your event close to Gamescom, and then you can take a whole, a whole span of time off in a row. You know, like making your big holiday at one place. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Maybe 2017. <laughs> I don't think. Maybe that's too early. <laughs> so, do you have any other plans or projects in your mind, or is? Is a video game con your thing, and that's your only thing you plan to do in the near future? Uh, that's pretty much it right now. The only other ideas, maybe, what that were a possibility that sprung up, uh, were maybe to start doing some more YouTube things because everyone always points out to me that just the things that I do in my free time are things for YouTube content. So. <clears throat> maybe for i example? will uh for example right now as i talk to you the video is not on i'm standing in my game room which is a room entirely dedicated to gaming and i'm surrounded by literally thousands of video games so just literally maybe videos of my collection and and talking about collecting and then videos of let's plays because i'm constantly playing a lot of weird not mainstream games and uh maybe just give like exposure to that and you know just being in the scene and going to these events um you know it wouldn't hurt to uh capture it on video and and go from that the thing is is that my only problem is i have time to make the content i just don't have time to do the editing um so that's something that i need to look into um you know maybe uh you know maybe i combine forces with someone or something like that but that's that's pretty much the only other idea that i've 
have really had. Well, become a famous YouTuber, then you make it your primary living, and then you can you can exit your other job and problem solved. No? Yeah, yeah, and you know it's funny that you say that. Um, as cool as that would be, or whatnot, I it's weird to say this. I don't even think I would want that man to become a YouTube personality. Um, you know, I guess I I would rather just kind of be. A normal gamer just maybe that's why i have never done it it's kind of getting deep if i think about it out loud it's that i just kind of like just uh playing games and kind of you know just just doing it not having to worry about you know capturing it or or something because playing games is my form of escapism it's my it's my uh my outlet so to speak so i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens though well, I never thought we would we would sit here and make a podcast, you know. Suddenly things turn out the way they do without you planning it, you know. Yeah. Sometimes things just come together, man. Well, thank you for sitting with us for this. Yeah, and and thanks again for having me. Yeah, and we will see you again at uh next year's Video Game Con. Yeah. All right, yeah. cool. And well, definitely we'll... keep in touch. All right. We'll do, man. Thanks a lot. So that was Paul Solomine. He was the organizer of a video game con in Parsippany, New Jersey, which we went to. Perfect. Jorg is looking online. We mentioned earlier Red Rogers. What's what's the what's the news there, Jorg? So, as you all know, um, we spoke to 3D Realms, um, who is also a publisher of uh, games by Interceptor Entertainment by Frederick Schreiber. And we asked in our last interview in the Museum of Frankfurt if they are maybe planning to bring up a successor of Commander Keen. And um, they didn't talk about that back, back in the day, last year. But now they actually had, um, they actually had a Kickstarter for a game called Red Watchers, and it's a successor of Commander Keen. And they actually successfully funded it. And Mike Nielsen told me he, um, he considers to continue the funding over Indiegogo. Okay. So maybe go to Indiegogo and have a look if there is something called Red Watchers in Indiegogo. But they met their funding on Kickstarter. Yes, they did. But you know, some projects they they try to do extra pledging over other systems. Mm -hmm. For example, um, Star Citizen that right. is still collecting pledges. Um, except the Kickstarter funding happened years ago, but you can still get a pledge. So. Um, 3D Realms is considering doing something similar with Red Rogers of Interceptor Entertainment. Yes. So that's it. Of course we will we will keep an eye on that and we will keep we will keep in touch with them and see what's um what's happening with that. I mean, you know three um Duke Nukem 3D was something that I had as a teenager, you know, at school we played Duke Nukem 3D, 
despite it was for 18 plus, we still did it in a secret moment when the teachers didn't watch after school <laughs> lessons or into school breaks, you know. Yeah. But before that, when I was a child, like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, then I actually had the pleasure to play Commander Keen. So my starting truck. Well, Commander Keen wasn't wasn't Commander very. Keen. Commander Keen wasn't like an adult thing at all. Commander Keen was like, yeah, you know, kids could play that. That was just a generic kind of side scroller, right? Yes, yes, a jump and run um, <laughs> in the space in the first part, and then the second part it would be in the woods mm -hmm. of magic trees. Right. So for me, the second part of um, Commander Keen in the woods was totally fun, you know. It was um, entertaining, mm. you know. You would love it as a kid as much as you would love the Sesame Street, you know. Yeah. And um, if you compare to that, the Sesame Street actually has spread around the world. It's available in almost any country in the world, you know. Well, that's ironic because when I looked up, when I did a Google search for Red Rogers, I kept coming up with Fred Rogers, who I, I don't know if you are familiar with. Well, you got to be familiar with Mr. Rogers. Mm. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Not really. What? No. What? Oh. <laughs> I thought Mr. Rogers was pretty universal. Not everything is universal. Mm. But um, Sesame Street is yes. universal. Yeah. Definitely. For example, in Priscilla, it's called Villa Sesamsi, you know? Okay. Um, so it's not a street ah. in Brazil. You know, so I, I just also heard that, that Fraggle Rock will be coming back to HBO. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're... Fraggle Rock is another Jim Henson thing with the Muppets and all that stuff, and it was a big 80s thing. I have to admit, I totally disliked the Muppet Show. <laughs> yeah, That's but sacrilege. I totally love Sesame Street. You know. Okay, well, but you know, but pretty much there's there's a lot of overlap. I know, I know, but but I didn't like some of the overlap. Anyway, what I liked is there was a movie, you know, where Sesame Street yes. characters would be on the move. Uh -huh. I totally loved that. You know. Follow that so bird. What, I think was what the kind one. of setup do you have? Well, sweet ones with gummy bears. <laughs> you know, I totally remember that part. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, yes, well, and um, John Sir John is actually returning. It has a role in there, too. The voice character, the voice actor of Duke Nukem. Oh, hey, there He's you go. Okay. You know, that's about it. So a video game con, you can find out about that at www.avideogamecon.com. Uh, you can also find them on Facebook uh, and and uh, Twitter and other places. We will put links to all this in the podcast description so you can check it out. You know where to find us. It's sceneworld.org for more yes. things and more stuff. You can also go to, to youtube.sceneworld.org. Yes. And new videos that we're putting up daily. Yes, and Instagram. Oh, yeah. Our newest thing, you know, um, Instagram.com slash SceneWorld64. Mm -hmm. 
And we also should mention that we are on iTunes with our podcast, and we saw there are no reviews yet. Yeah, if you're so. if you're an iTunes listener, and there are a few because we can see that there are some popular ones, um, please leave us a, a review because even if it's a bad review, it's cool. We don't mind. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> Try us. Well, hopefully, hopefully you like what you listen to. So until and if ne- not, then tell us what to improve. Yeah, yeah. So until next time, I'm AJ. He's Jörg. Yes. We'll see you later. So, see you.